bam, I'm dead. Get hit by a bus. Uh, what is the next thing that I think of or the next conscious thought? Even the media portrays it as like, it's this like blaze of light and then Jesus is in front of you. I turn into a shimmery ball of light. You see that white light? Like, that's white light as I'm seeing right here. It'd be like shock, a whole bunch of, and then psh, nothing. I haven't really thought of it that way. Whether you get buried, cremated, or whatever, like, if your conscience is in that moment, what? No thanks. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Let's go to something. I actually picture sort of total peace and, and almost like calm of just like o an overwhelming sense of wholeness. What I would think is probably going to happen, any conscious thoughts or feelings would disappear totally. I think my very first response was, oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh. Like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, this is the this is that event. Your whole life is leading to this event and, and, and I know that this event means I see Jesus really soon. I don't know why we wouldn't see Jesus right away. I think consciously you immediately have that encounter with the Savior. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not that I know the answer, but that's just what I can imagine. Yeah, they did a good job. Um, Reminds me of that joke, what's the last thing to go through a mosquito's mind when it hits a windshield? Answer is, it's butt. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> All right. So this morning, we have a treat here. Uh, some of you know Ashita Moore. She's preached here before. Uh, she's becoming a dear friend of ours and getting to know her. And Ashita, I, 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 you guys have been listening so for 10, 12 years, they've been podcasters. I think you, you've got... You know our theology better than we do, and so I, I just really come to appreciate her. So uh, would you give a warm Woodland Hills welcome to Oshita Moore. Come, bring it, sister. Let the anointing be all over you. Thank you, Greg. Good morning, Woodland. Ooh, I like that. It's, it's going to be a good service. Um, okay, so uh, Greg didn't tell you this, but I was supposed to preach this sermon Two weeks ago, during that snowy, snowy weekend, y'all know, I think we're all like getting over the trauma of that uh, snowstorm a couple of weeks in, weekend ago. I never received as many texts from my friends in other places saying, are you sure God called you to St. Paul? Because <laughs> I'm watching the news. Um, but I was about to preach this message on death and discipleship. And I'm actually glad that the snow forced me to stay home because I needed these couple of weeks to let this message that I wrote for you back then really work itself in my heart. And so I'm, I am looking forward to teaching this morning on death and discipleship, but this was not the case several months ago when Greg sent me an email and said, hey, Oshita, will you come and preach during our sermon series? He didn't say death in that email. It was, he said something like non-perishables. We're playing with the idea of non-perishables. And so I said, okay, great. What's non-perishable? What does it, what's everlasting? My character, um, God's love, the black box in an airplane. What's, what's non-perishable? And so I'm going to this coffee meeting prepared to talk about things that don't perish. And as Greg is telling me about the sermon series, he's saying death a lot. But because I am so resistant to thinking about death uh, often, I keep hearing him say debt. And so he's saying death, 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 death. And I'm hearing death, 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 death. Like, and he's like, and then we're going to talk about death. And then death. And I'm like, why does he keep saying debt? Like, what is, what is Greg's deal with talking about debt? And as some of you may know, preaching about money for preachers is 
really intimidating. We kind of avoid it because the potential for miscommunication and hurt feelings is so prevalent. And so I'm thinking, as I'm hearing Greg say debt, I'm thinking, okay, well, Oshita, you don't want to preach about money because money is scary, but if this is what your friends in Woodland Hills needs, then you will do it. You will screw your courage to the sticking place. You will get there. You'll preach about money. You'll get past the hurt feelings. You're going to do it. So I turn to Greg and I say, sure, Greg, what about money do you want me to preach? <laughs> and my husband, who was with us at that meeting, um, was sitting next to me. And I could tell when I looked at his face and Greg's face that something was lost in translation because they were all confused. And my husband leans over to me uh, because he knows that I'm deaf, partially deaf in this ear, and sometimes I miss critical pieces of information and conversations. He says, no, babe, Greg is asking you to preach on death and discipleship, not debt and discipleship. And in that moment when I realized that I had made a very critical mistake, something started happening within me in that coffee shop. This combination of fear and insecurity and denial kind of just churned all in me. And I had this impulse to stand up in that coffee shop and say, get behind me, Satan, to our pastor. Because I was so sure that he was telling me that I was going to have to preach weeks after Easter on death. And this was just a wily, wily scheme of the enemy to steal my joy of Easter morning. So not today, Satan. But rest assured, my friends, I did not rebuke Pastor Greg at the coffee shop because social niceties say that you don't scare the nice older pastor who's inviting you to preach at his church. So here I am <laughs> this morning <laughs> preaching on the probably the only thing that is harder for me to talk about than money in a large group gathering, death. But as I started thinking about that moment, because really when you have such a visceral, visceral big reaction, uh, you should probably go home and check and see what caused that reaction. As I sat home and thought about all of the uh, feelings of insecurity and denial and indignation that was just churning within me, I realized that there was something that was important for me as a disciple of Jesus to grapple with. And that was my anxiety when it comes to talking about death. That was my fear of death itself. And so that's where we're going this morning. We are going to take a, a moment to look at the anxiety that we have when it comes to talking about, about death. How many of you, when you realized that your church was gonna start, was gonna start a series on death, you were like, mm, where are my earbuds? Let me plug in and watch something on YouTube in the back. I am, I'll show up, but I won't show up for it. Because death is that thing that all of us know that we're going to experience. It's inevitable, but it makes us feel really, really vulnerable. And that anxiety has no place in our lives as followers of Jesus. So today, we're going to acknowledge that anxiety. We're going to dig a little deeper into it. I'm going to show you from Scripture how Jesus addresses that anxiety by talking about his very own death. And then we're going to wrap up with some very practical ways for us to overcome death and overcome that anxiety that comes when we think about death by what we learn in our scripture. So if you're ready to rock and roll, will you join with me in prayer? 
Jesus, you are our Prince of Peace, and that means that your peace extends to us even when we feel anxious, especially when we feel anxious. And Lord, some of us in this room are anxious when we talk about death. And Lord, we know that that's not your will. So we invite your presence in this room to drive away that anxiety. Lord, let my words be your words. Let my friends' ears be open and their hearts be open. And Lord, we love you, so we want you in this space. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so when we think about death and, and we begin to acknowledge that there is an anxiety that is connected to it, um, some of us can maybe feel a little shame around that. Some of us may be a little curious about what that anxiety, where that anxiety comes from. And some of us, the moment we feel that anxiety, we run away. We don't want to think about it. But today we're going to dig in just a little bit. So we're going to talk about anxiety. Now, I really love this thought from an author named Susan Cheevers because I feel like it points directly to our shared experience when it comes to death. Susan Cheevers says, death is terrifying because it's so ordinary. It happens all the time. We see it. We see it on Facebook. We see it in the news. We maybe have loved ones that have died. Maybe we have had, we've had near-death experiences or we've had near misses where we were in a car accident and just the, the, the right thing happened that prevented that from being a fatal car crash. But in that moment, we start thinking about our own mortality. It is surrounding us. And then our culture ha is not very helpful in our way in helping us think about death in a, in a life-giving, holistic pointing to the love and goodness of God way, it has all of these phrases like cheating death, where somehow death is, some, is a failure. It's something we need to avoid. It's something that we should be ashamed of and afraid of. So we need to cheat it, and we need to be the smartest and strongest and prolong our lives as long as possible, because death is that thing that we don't really want to have to deal with. We are surrounded by death and the reminders of our mortality every day, Yet so many of us who, call, who follow Jesus, who say that we are disciples of Jesus, do not know how to interact with those reminders of death in a way that doesn't lead in and give in to that anxiety. And we don't know that there's a way to think about our death that rejects that anxiety and points us to the goodness of God. And that's what we're going to do today. This anxiety, although it's natural, we are human, we are mortal. We are vulnerable, so it is natural to initially feel like, <gasps> when we think about death. It may be natural, but it's not good for us. And it's not what Jesus wants for us. We should be anxious for nothing, and that includes thinking about our death. I like this thought from theologian and uh, psychologist, Dr. Richard Beck. He points to something that, that is very critical in the way that we think about death and some of the ways that we, we try to manage that anxiety that doesn't look like Jesus. Richard Beck says, humans are fearful and survival-driven animals, easily drawn into sinful and selfish practices. Our survival makes us tragically vulnerable to death anxiety. Okay, so today, like I said, we're going to talk about ways to manage that anxiety that looks like Jesus. But in our world, uh, we, have, we have picked up different ways of self-soothing or managing that desire that doesn't look like Jesus. And so some people will manage that death anxiety with plastic surgery to reduce the signs of aging on their faces. 
Some of us will be really cutthroat at work and earn as much money and, and, and build the life that we want to live um, here on earth because we're not sure what the afterlife is going to look like. So we're going to enjoy our life as much now as possible. Death anxiety can manifest in overextending ourselves in relationships and with organizations that we love because we want to do the best work on earth as possible. We want to make sure that we leave the world better than we, than, uh, than we were, well, leave the world better than it was before we entered into the scene. And so we can overextend ourselves with good causes. And I would argue that every midlife crisis in both men and women, at the very core of it, is death anxiety. The clock is ticking and we're growing more and more aware of its ominous sound. I noticed how death anxiety came up in my own life just this past Holy Week. Now my husband is a pastor at a church here in the, Fro in the Frogtown area, and, uh, and he loves Holy Week. Y'all, he calls it the Super Bowl for Christians. It is his favorite week. I mean, that man starts planning for it as soon as we start cleaning up the wrapping paper from Christmas. And so we were talking about his expectations and, you know, what he needed from me over Holy Week. And he says, okay, babe, here's what I want to do. I want to have a good Friday service in our home. And I am from the South. So the moment you talk about having church people in my home, I kick into gear. I am like, okay, yes, I will uh, make snacks, and we're going to have music, and oh, what's a good Good Friday playlist on, on Pandora, and I'm just, I'm, I'm there. And my husband says, no, 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 no. I want a very contemplative, very somber uh, time together. I want us to really look closely at the cross and what Jesus did there, and I was like, no, that's no, we're not doing that. We're going to put the good back in Good Friday, babe. We're going to have cinnamon rolls, and I'm going to hug people, and I'm going to say, uh, don't worry, Easter's coming. But see, that's death anxiety, because I didn't want to look at the cross. I didn't want to look at Jesus, my Christ, the risen one, the one who I know is victorious. I didn't want to take that moment and look at his vulnerability on the cross. But my friends, I would suggest to you today that if we are going to begin building practices in our lives to prepare us for our deaths, if we're going to begin shaping our life like Jesus, because we're disciples of Jesus, when we think about death, that it is critical for us to look at the cross. Because the good and good Friday, it's not cinnamon rolls and happy music and big hugs at the door. The good and good Friday is Jesus' manifest love for every single one of us. That self-giving love on the cross is what we can lean into when we start to think about our own deaths, when we start to think about our own mortality. But I didn't want to do that. I suspect that the reason Jesus talked about his death with his disciples was, yes, to talk about prophecy and explain how he was going to fulfill that prophecy, but there was something else. I think Jesus was preparing them because he wanted them to know that you are not alone in this. I am going with you. I am going to enter into the human ex experience so much so that I will die. I will experience death. 
One of, our one of the key contributors to our death anxiety is that it's the great unknown. We don't know what to expect. In our bumper, we heard so many of our friends say, I don't know if I have the answer. You know who has the answer? Jesus. And he went before us. He went before us. And that is the beauty of the cross. And that is what we're going to look at here in our scripture today. If you have your Bibles, and it's also going to be on the screen, will you open your Bibles up to Matthew 16? We're going to read some of it, then I'm going to skip and then read the rest of it. <clears throat> Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you Say I am, Jesus asked. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. All right, now jump down to chapter 20, or verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Now, uh, what Jesus just said to his disciples is scandalous on lots of levels, not just because he called out his friend in front of the other disciples, but because of two things. One, Jesus was saying, yes, I am your Messiah. Yes, I am your liberator. Yes, I am your Lord. And this is, this is the way of my kingdom. I am going to die, and that is how I'm going to overcome death. I conquer death with death. I am willing to be vulnerable, and that is the way of my kingdom. And that is how you should live in this world, willing to die. The disciples didn't want to hear this because he was their guy. He was supposed to be strong, and he was supposed to be powerful, and he was supposed to overcome with, all, with a power over. But no, no, no. Jesus said, I'm coming under. I am going to die, and that is how you're going to know that I am your king. I am going to die, and that is how you're going to know the depth of my love for you. My way is different, Simon Peter. The second scandalous thing about this is that Jesus calls the disciples to enter into the scandalous life of dying every day. He uses the cross, an execution tool, saved for criminals, as an example of our lives every day. We, we practice dying so that we can look like our crucified Lord. We practice dying so that we can enter into that self-giving love on the cross, not for our own sake, but so that we can love because we were first loved. Do you see how critical it is for us as disciples of Jesus to think about death, to grapple with it? But that 
take up your cross and follow me phrase is a little problematic. It's a little confusing because we can't take up our cross and physically die every single day. So I really like what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He describes a life that looks like taking up the cross and following Jesus every day. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does it mean for us to take up our cross every single day and follow Jesus? That means we are intentional about our discipleship to include, yes, the celebration that Christ is our risen Lord, but the remembering that he also died for us, that he entered in for us, that he went before us, and that we don't have to be afraid because we're not alone. So how can we practically do this? Well, when Paul is talking Galatians 2.20, he's not talking about, again, physical death, because it's impossible. He's talking about daily denial of comfort, self-esteem, and identity that makes us over-identify with the world. And, and he's encouraging us to, for, to forget about all those things so that we can lean into the love that was displayed by Jesus on the cross. Do you want to know what causes the prime contributor at the very core of our death anxiety is we're clinging to the things of this world. We are holding so tightly to it, and we're so afraid of letting it go that we do, like I said, those self-soothing things. And so Paul is saying that to take up our cross is an act of slowly letting go, opening our hands, and letting the things of the world that we over-identify with float away. So that in its place, we're making space for the love of Jesus to fill us up. Because that love of Jesus holds us together in this life as we think about our death. And that love of Jesus is waiting for us at the end of life. We are running right into it. So why not start practicing now living in that love? So like I said, I I really love thinking about practically taking what we learn in scripture and making it real in our, in our lives right now. For so many of those disciples, they really were going to have to take up crosses and follow Jesus. But that's not the case for us. So how do we build practices in our lives? How do we shape our discipleship in such a way that prepares us for death because we're living daily in that love of Jesus? There are two ways that I'm going to suggest. The first is fasting. Now, I want to be very clear about this because I was raised in a tradition where fasting was almost like you're twisting God's arm to get what you want. Anybody else have that experience? You're like a toddler holding your breath. Well, Lord, see how hungry I am? You just better do the thing I'm asking because I'm giving up food for you. It's a very manipulative way of thinking about fasting. And I'm not talking about fasting and food for those of us who are suffering, who are suffering with disordered eating. I know this very clearly because I had my own experience of starting to hate my body and have body shame. And and so what I would do is I would say, I'm fasting. I would make up some cause that I'm fasting for. I'm fasting. But really, I was tearing apart my body. Really, I was causing destruction in my body. And when you destroy the body, 
you can't help but destroy your soul. So those were times where when I was supposed to be fasting and feeling closer to God, I wasn't because I was so focused on what was wrong in this body that God gave me. But bodies are good. Jesus took on his own body. And so I'm not talking about fasting as a way of being manipulative or a way of hating the body that you're in. I'm talking about fasting as a way for you to begin to let go. A funny little thing that I notice about myself when I start fasting, I, I would fast things that I, like I said, over-identified with. So, you know, if I was holding on to Instagram because it's so pretty and it makes me feel so connected, I would say, Lord, I am giving up Instagram and I'm feeling that loss, so please let your love feel as real to me as my Instagram feed. And I would notice that as I was praying those kind of things, I would start to go through my day kind of just like open-handed. It was an embodiment of this internal truth that I need to let go of the things that I hold on so closely to in this world. So I would say the very first practice, the practical thing that you can do to begin taking up your cross, to practicing your death, to living in the selfless love of Christ every single day, I would say the first thing is to practice fasting. Find that thing that you're over-identified with and let go. And be bold and ask God to make his love so real to you as that hunger pain is from your lunchtime fasting. The next thing that I would say is prayer. And I really love how Greg has been bringing us back to using imaginative prayer as a way to make death more concrete. Again, it's that big unknown that we don't know. And so Greg has been giving us tools and practices um, for our own prayer life. And this is so important because things don't become real for us if we can't get our brains around it. And what better time and way to get your brain around death than in the presence of the Holy Spirit? So I, there are three prayer exercises that I practice when uh, Greg asked me to do this that have been really helpful for me in tapping into the love of Jesus. So if you have a pen and paper and you're, you want to try these at home, here's the first one. The first one is, I would imagine going to a cemetery. And as I'm walking up to the cemetery, at the gates, Jesus is standing. And he greets me with a hug. And he says, okay, let's go find your tombstone. And as we're walking through the cemetery to my tombstone, he is recounting everything that he was proud of in my life. Hey, when you were patient with your teenager, I saw that. I was proud. Hey, when you guys gave to that missionary, I saw that. That was good. Hey, when you held your tongue when that coworker annoyed you at work, I got why you were frustrated, and I'm very proud of you for holding your tongue, for being a peacemaker. I saw every success in your life, and I cheered for you. And as we make our way to the tombstone, and I see my name, he looks at me and says, Oshida, well done, good and faithful servant. Yours was a life well lived. The second exercise is when I spend time looking at Jesus, acknowledging all the missed opportunities, all the things that I wasn't proud of, all the things that I felt like I did wrong. And, and I'm going down this list. And so how I prepared for this one was I wrote down the things that I still am harboring shame over, that I feel like God is judging me over. 
and I, and I sit across from Jesus, and I say, oh, Lord, my life is over. I didn't have time to fix it. I didn't have time to tell that person how I truly felt. I didn't have time to apologize for that thing I did wrong. I totally missed that opportunity to share your gospel, Lord. I'm so sorry. And as I'm telling him, Jesus is weeping because he's like, I don't want you to feel bad about that. I have forgiven you. I forgave you then. You are coming into a space now where you are loved and forgiven. I'm so sad that you are holding on to that shame. Let it go. I desire mercy, not judgment. And then the last one, which is the one that we're going to go through together, but I'm going to explain it to you first, and then we're going to, we're going to do it together as a community. The last one is a practice of letting go of the things that I over-identify with. And so in this exercise, I bright light die, and I'm standing at the, at the beginning of a field. And on this field, there are hot air balloons, dozens of them, hundreds of them. It's beautiful and joyful. And beside every hot air balloon is something that I loved, loved so very much on this earth. And, and so Jesus takes my hand, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up to each thing, and you're going to pick it up, and you're going to say, thank you for the joy you gave me in my life, but I don't need it anymore. I'm going to send you away now. And we're going to place it in the hot air balloon, and it's going to go up. And as I am picking up things like Starbucks cup, because I love me some coffee, and I put it in the hot air balloon, and I send it up, and I say, thank you for all those energized nights you gave me of writing, but I don't need you anymore. I have the energy of the kingdom. And it's going up. And as I am saying thank you, Jesus turns to me and says, it's okay. I'm enough. I love you. You're going to be in my love forever. It's okay to say goodbye. And I work my way through, you know, things. The heart, they get become a little bit harder and harder. And then I get to a part of the field where there are the people that I love, and each person is standing by their very own hot air balloon. And I walk up to them, and I thank them for the, for the time that we had on earth, and I tell them how much I love them. And I, and, I, and I turn to Jesus, and I explain how scared I am, but Jesus says, it's okay, because I'm holding them too. You can let them go. And we hug one last time. We get in the hot air balloon, and they go up. And as they're going up, Jesus is saying, it's okay to let them go. I'm taking care of them now. I love you. Let my love be enough. Now, when Greg and I, uh, when I finally realized that Greg was asking me to preach on death and not debt, when Greg was telling me about this sermon, he gave me, he, start, he told me about this last one, but when he told me about it, he said, well, Oshida, I have this idea, I have this picture, and I get to this really peaceful, serene river, and there are kayaks, and, and, I, and I say goodbye to the things, and he just walked me through the same way I kind of did. Um, and so I want to encourage you that as we do this together, as we do this as a community, to use whatever mode of transportation works for you. If it's motorcycles, if it's Mustangs, if it's a bike, whatever, just don't use the DeLorean from Back to the Future. That kind of goes against our whole be present right now <laughs> ethos of this practice. But for me, Greg was telling me about this, and I was like thinking, Greg, that's great. 
but you know, and kayaking is fun, but I like pie, so I need something that makes more sense for me. So that's why I came with the idea for the hot air balloon. And so what we're gonna do together, my friends, is we're gonna close our time um, with this community exercise. And so there's some soft music that's gonna play in a moment. Think of one person that is the hardest for you to say goodbye to, because um, we don't have time to do the whole exercise, but just one person who's really hard for you to say goodbye to. And I want you to imagine putting them in that mode of transportation and sending them on, and as they're going, um, after you've said to them how much you love them and you've said goodbye that last time, as they are going, Jesus is reminding you, you're not alone in this. I love you. I went before you. My love is enough. So if we'll start that music, think of that one person, and let's go through this exercise together. Jesus, we want to have the mind of God and not be overly concerned with the things of man. Jesus, we know that you love us, yet sometimes we can't experience that love because we're clinging on to other things. We're holding other things. So help us, Lord, to live a posture of open-handedness, to let go of over-identifying the things of this world because we're yours. We're yours. Help us drive away that fear, that perfect love that drives away fear is your love. So let us experience it, Jesus. When we think about our death and we feel that anxiety come, chase it away, Lord. I pray for every single person in this room who is reckoning and grappling with their own deaths. I pray that they no longer feel afraid, but that they know that they are loved because you have conquered death by death. And help us to take up our crosses every day, Lord, and trust in the comfort of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. So I want to invite the prayer team to come up. If there is any prayer need that you have, if you would like to explore praying some more over anxiety, please uh, come up and meet with them. They're going to be on this side of the stage. Go and resist anxiety with the perfect love of Christ, my friends. Amen. <laughs>